Lord Jesus, we pray that you would speak now in ways that we can hear you. And uh, we ask that uh, in our distraction, in the busyness of this time of year, Lord, give us your peace, that we may be at rest in your presence. In Jesus' name do we pray, amen. Please be seated. And Ben, um, I can control the slides from up here so you can have a break. All right, ben, Ben's filling in at the sound booth and he's totally at peace with it too. <laughs> All right, so several years ago now, um, I got to go to Washington, D.C., and uh, I was walking down the street with Kimberly, and we looked over, and I saw the FBI building. And, you know, I could tell it was the FBI building because I saw it in, like, all these TV shows and movies. And I was like, Kimberly, it's the FBI building. And she's like, uh-huh. And as we were looking at it, uh, a garage door opens up, and up comes all these black SUVs with their lights on. And I'm like, look, they're going to save the world. Really exciting. Whenever you see all these cars coming out and they have what they call them a motorcade, right? They have that VIP that they're trying to get from one place to another safely. Motorcades are so disruptive to the rest of the traffic. They push everybody off the side of the road so that the, the main event can really get moving. And that's what John the Baptist was doing. He was Jesus' motorcade. People go along the road normally every day. We hardly even think about what we're doing. But when a motorcade comes or a police car comes or ambulance, it shakes us up, gets us off to the side and think, am I in a safe place? Am I where I need to be? And John is getting people to ask that question. He's shaking them up out of their routines. He's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He's getting things ready for people to say, hey, am I living... My best life? Am I living the the life that God has chosen for me? Or do I need to do a course correction? So today I want to look at who John the Baptist is and what he was doing because he was preparing the way for Jesus. And we live in a post-Christian world right now, a post-church world. Our calling is not just to show up on Sundays anymore. It never was. Our calling was to prepare the way For Jesus, that by our lives, by the words we speak, the actions that we do, we actually get people thinking, what's with that person? Why do they care? And hopefully they ask, and then we can say, because of Jesus. That's our calling. So let's let's take a look at at what's happening. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, And then he goes on to, you know, we need to know what John was wearing. He's wearing camel skin, leather belt, really fancy hair, and he had a really healthy diet of big old grasshoppers and honey. When I was a kid, uh, we didn't have a color TV. We had a portable black and white TV. It had rabbit ears with tinfoil all squished on top of it, and I had three channels. Oh, well, four, but one was French. So I had three channels. (laughs) And one Sunday afternoon, I was home watching TV, and also we had to have like a a needle-nose pliers to turn the channel, because it was an old TV. The only thing I could watch that afternoon was Davy Crockett. (laughs) Do you remember that show? Davy Crockett, what's that? 
That's very, <laughs> for those of us who don't know who Davy Crockett was, he was, a, he was the king of the wild frontier. Davy Crockett wore deerskin and a raccoon cap. He had a big old gun, and he could do anything. He was amazing. And I remember that was my first exposure to Davy, Davy Crockett. Love it. After that show, I was like, Mom, can you get me a raccoon hat? And she's like, no. (laughs) No, I can't. Davy Crockett was dressed like that because he was living in the wild. He didn't have access to, like, cotton or anything like that. He had access to deerskin. The thing that made John the Baptist freaky, and he was freaky, wasn't his wardrobe. Because every poor person would wear what they could wear. And what he could wear was camel skin. And it wasn't his diet either, even though that's kind of weird to us. Poor people in the desert ate locusts because it was available. And who doesn't want to eat wild honey? I want to eat wild honey. That's not what made John the Baptist so freaky. It was his message that made him freaky. And his message was basically, it's time to do a 180 because God is doing a new thing. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for this? God's reign is coming near. Are you living in accordance with his will or is something else dictating how you live? Are you living for something else? The message of repentance for us often takes on a a guilt-ridden message of you're a horrible, rotten person. But that's not the message of repentance. It's a a hopeful, grace-filled message of it's time to do a course correction. You are dearly loved come and enter more fully into that love. I think I was at the the medley lectures when, when somebody asked the question, how would your marriage do if you put as much effort into it as you do your faith? How would your job do? Would you still have a job if you put the same amount of effort into your job that you do with your faith? And that... The idea is, are you investing enough in your faith? Are you taking it seriously? This is the same kind of message of repentance. It's not to make you feel guilty. It's to say, am I actually living out the life that Jesus has called me to do? Do I need to make a course correction? This is all good news. And people were hearing John the Baptist's message, and all around Jerusalem and Judea, they were coming out to hear more And when they got there, they did something startling. They confessed their sin. That's the thing I want to do when I go to a concert. You know, I just want to scream out to everybody, hey, guess how I messed up this week? I was so judgmental this week. Do you want me to tell you how? That's not what we do normally, right? But they were coming, they were hearing his message, and they were saying, I want more of God in my life. So I'm going to acknowledge that there's something wrong so that I can change. If you've ever heard or know anyone in AA, they can't do anything. They're powerless to do anything until they admit they have a problem. That's the same for every bit of sin in our lives, every bit of waywardness. We need to acknowledge it if we're going to ask for help. And that's what confession is. Now, this, the, the, the kind of neat thing that happened when they confessed their sin, they were baptized. And this form of baptism was reserved for Gentiles, like people who are outside of the Jewish faith. 
But these were Jews. And basically what they're doing through their baptism is they're re-entering this covenant relationship, this marriage with God. They're restarting. It's a beautiful thing. So the thing that made John so different was not his diet, his clothing, or his hairstyle. It was his message. And God was working because people were responding to what he was saying. And uh, not only just normal people, but Sadducees and Pharisees. And, and John the Baptist greets them so warmly. He says, you brood of vipers. How many people have seen a brood of vipers? Not many of us, eh? So I want to show you a brood of vipers. Can I do that? Hopefully, hopefully this will work here. This is only two minutes long. A snake's eyes aren't very good, but they can detect movement. So if the hatchling keeps its nerve, it may just avoid detection. escape I love that video <laughs> uh, <laughs> those vipers are con- intent on one thing right consuming that that iguana and it's a hatchling that's day one for this iguana <laughs> not all the iguanas in that video make it by the way um, but when they get one you can't tell where one snake ends and the other begins it's confusing And they're just so everywhere. Here's the scary part. John the Baptist greets these Sadducees and Pharisees and calls them a brood of vipers. They're intent on consuming and destroying, and they only care about that one thing. Who were the Pharisees and the Sadducees? The Sadducees were priests. They were rich. Uh, and they got along really well with the Roman people. They, want, they thought, 
if we want life to be better in our world, we need to have harmony with our Roman oppressors. So let's compromise on what we believe and how we live, and let's just get along with everybody. The Pharisees sort of had an opposite thing. They were very biblically minded, and they wanted, they said, if we are just totally faithful to Torah, then God will deliver us from these awful Roman people and we'll be good. And because they needed to know what to do in every single circumstance, they wrote reams and reams and reams of books to explain what they were to do in every circumstance. And these reams of books became more important to them than the actual Bible. Uh, One commentator I, I, I looked at referred to these groups as the prideful, the Pharisees, those who think they've got it all figured out, and the sophisticated, those who know better. And he also said in in his commentary, if we want to get the most out of the gospel, we need to recognize that the Pharisees and the Sadducees aren't them back then over there. It's us. And we might recognize that, you know, our divide between uh, liberal and conservative just lines up really nicely with those Pharisees and those Sadducees. I'm really tired of that divide. I think there's a third way and a better way. But we need to acknowledge, am I just so fixated on what I want to consume that I'm part of the problem? Or am I living for something else? He tells these people, he tells you and me, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Well, what kind of fruit would that be? It would be humble, acknowledging that I can and am wrong a lot of the time, but God's grace is sufficient, so I can be thankful, but I can also be compassionate because I've messed up and been given grace. When other people mess up, I can show compassion and understanding at the same time. He says the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. There is a sense of urgency here. I don't know if anyone here ever seen the show uh, Clarkson's Farm. Has anyone seen that show? No, huh? It's about a motorhead, a guy who loves cars, who has a farm, whose manager retires, and he decides, hey, I'll take over the farm. It's, it's based in England, and he has no sweet clue what he's doing. And he's provocative, this guy. His name is Jeremy Clarkson. And he shows all this footage of him cutting down all the trees in his lot. At least you think that's what he's doing. But what he actually does is he's cutting down trees, specific trees in his woodlot, in order to promote further growth. To get more light in. And everyone thinks, oh, here's this guy who only cares about, uh, you know, uh, cars and fuel and all this stuff. He doesn't really care about the planet. And here he's, he wants people to think that's what he's doing. But he's like, actually... This is for future growth. He's managing his forest well. When, when uh, Jesus says, or John the Baptist says the axe is already at the root of the trees, it's because God is working for more growth. All right. In the final section, he says, uh, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Again, there's urgency here. 
Uh, if you don't know what a winnowing fork, it's kind of like a pitchfork is. You throw the wheat up in the air, the chaff blows away in the wind, and the wheat is gathered at your feet. Um, here, John shows that he is there to prepare the way, but he cannot provide the way. Our task as, as followers of Jesus today is not to save people. Our task is to walk humbly and obediently with Jesus and to witness of his love and how we live. The consequence of that is in God's hands. Our job is to be faithful in our witness and humble and obedient in our walk. John came to clear the way for Jesus to enter the scene. We are called to witness to Jesus in what we do in our day-to-day lives. John shook people out of their comfort zones with questions. Are you ready? And we are encouraging to do the same. We can ask questions. Is this the best way for us to be living life? How do we reorient our lives to focus on God instead of our self-reliance or our sophistication? In this season of Advent, we are called to look at the kingdom of God and say, am I lined up with that? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you have called us into relationship with you. And we do pray, Lord, that your life would be established in us and that through us you would be glorified, shown for who you truly are. We know that our world is suffering and in pain and darkness right now. And we suffer from the effects. So, Lord, please come heal us, heal our hearts, direct our lives, and use us to reflect your character and your goodness, your light in our world. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.